0: Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and back. I am your host, Aaron Huey. Thank you, parents, for being here. This is an important show. We're gonna we're gonna jump in the deep end. Off the high dive, cannonball time, parents. We're gonna go for uh, the real deal here. A lot of guests I have, and I, I feel so fortunate to you know, meet the experts, the coaches, the trainers, the parents, and even those who have been through recovery themselves over the years because I get to learn so much as they are teaching you. Recently, I started running a family crisis consulting training for parents who wanted to become parent coaches or family crisis consultants. And I got a lot of interest, but then a ton of private messages from moms saying, I don't know if I want to do this, but I don't know if I can do this because I'm going through it. This this is my journey, and how am I going to help others? And my response has always been, there is no one better than someone who's going through this, and that's why Marsha is with us. Uh, Marsha is a storytelling business coach, a speaker, an author podcaster she is a six-time best-selling author um and the when she stopped asking why is her one of her best-selling books um this what we have here is a mom who's been through the gauntlet the fire she has been forged in the flame plunged into the frozen water and then hammered by life and by being a parent and is on the other side teaching and supporting Parents, especially in the in the power of radical responsibility, owning your choices in your own life, and one of her specialties is empowering women. Van Weisenberg is her name. Marsha is with us today. Marcia, thank you very much for being here today on Beyond Risk and Back and working with my parents.
1: Mm, I'm so grateful to be here, Aaron. Honestly, this is just—it's a very important topic and. As no matter where my life takes me will be something I'll always give back to in some way, shape, or form, because I know what those years were like. You
0: have dealt with uh, suicidality. You have dealt with addiction. You have dealt with mental health issues. We were just talking off the air that right now in, in Canada, there's even conversations and legislation about assisted suicide that's going on in Sweden as well. Um, these are terrifying topics, these are these are incredibly potent conversations, and it's the most uncomfortable uh, when you find out your child is in that space and situation. is one of the most uncomfortable moments that you have to be both feet in, and it's hard. It's really hard.
1: It's very hard. It's very hard. There's 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 no manual for going through this, and I think that's that's such a The thing is that, you know, you're obviously looking for answers everywhere and there is no manual that you can just figure it out. You also have to dive in. And like you said, both feet, this is what my life was. So how am I going to navigate through it?
0: And and it's incredible because right now everybody's got the sum total of human knowledge at their fingertips 24-7 and we forget to look for help. We we forget to resource. And so I want to discuss that today. I want to discuss you know some of these greater issues and radical responsibility. As you know, being someone who's especially who has worked with girls through the years. When we have these moments when I'm talking about, you know, you create your life or your life creates you. When I was in treatment with these girls. 100% of the girls I worked with 100% had been sexually assaulted had been you know b- b- physically abused sexually abused and they would literally every single time I would say that say so wait a second I'm supposed to take responsibility for this happening to me and I want to hear your thoughts on that I want to hear that conversation from 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 your mouth around that but before we get into it let's jump back to what I like to call the age of the dinosaurs. How did it start for you? How did you get to where you are? And everything in between. Marsha, go.
1: I will keep it as succinct as possible. About 10 years ago, we started to find marijuana in our house. You know, kids were 12, 11, 12, 13. And this is when we found it. That doesn't mean that's when it started. This is when we found it. And when it started, it was like, what is happening? Like, this is just what is happening. And there was a lot of kids in their grade that were definitely experimenting. And and listen, a lot of people kept saying to me, oh, kids experiment, that's what happens. I can tell you without a doubt, it was never a phase for us. It was We never got to experience it like a phase. It came in and it never left. And no matter how many times we took it away, no matter how many times we did, it just continued and i say like a monster it just grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it eventually started to affect you know school home life family jobs sports every every single aspect was affected um even to the point of you know my husband and i trying to keep a job trying to figure out how to manage and I often think back to those times and think like I don't think I slept for three or four years and, and I it was just you lived on edge and it had to get really bad until I could find a way to to navigate through this and when you're a parent dealing in a situation like this I think the two things you're afraid of the most are you know overdose and suicide And for us, both things happened in a span of four days apart. And while my one son was in the hospital, my second son overdosed at home. Now, is is, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to be super real and honest with you. As hard as that time was, when you have a picture of what is the worst thing in the world that can happen to me, and it happens, then I remember sitting there thinking, okay, well, this is exactly what I was worried about. And both things happened in my home. So I wasn't keeping anyone safe. I think I'm done. And that was the moment where it was like, you you need to play a different role here. And I found this fiery part of myself that came out that was like, we're doing things differently. We're just doing it completely differently. And I started to, that is actually where radical responsibility started to take hold for me and the reason I say that is 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 a lot of reasons but for me I came to a point of uh, I was working with counselors working with mentors working with you know I was not afraid to ask for help for myself to figure out what to do and I was that Person who took the checklist, right? You know, the checklist with everything they tell you to do. And I'm like a student, I'm so proud of myself because I've done everything you've asked me to do. And they're like, "Yep, yeah, good job. And I'm like, but you're not listening. I still have all of the problems and I don't understand. And they said, that's because it's not your problem to solve. And as a parent, that is not, that's not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. And as a mom, because, you know, my husband and I are still together. We've worked through this in so many different ways. But as a mom, you, you think you sign this contract somewhere that your job is to fix, manage, control, micromanage everyone and make it be smooth and fix it. And I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I hit a point where it was like, none of my things are working. Not Nothing is working. And so This counselor said to me, and this was a turning point for me, was that if your boys come back to you, you need to be a springboard and you are nothing but a big pile of sand right now. You don't have, you couldn't support someone else right now if you wanted to. You have nothing left. And she was right. I was completely done. And so for me, I started to practice, like, what can I do to feel better today? And how can I start to take care of myself? And in that process, the words owning my choices and radical responsibility started to become my anchors. Some people use affirmations. I was like, that's not my choice. This is my choice. And radical responsibility to me means that I take responsibility for myself. In those years, I wasn't doing that. I was like 100% of my energy went for everyone else. And that's what you do as a parent. Until you recognize it doesn't work. And I had to come to a space of saying that when two people try and own a choice or a decision, nobody owns it. And if nobody owns it, there's no change happening. And so I had to get super clear about that's not my choice. This is my choice is to take responsibility for me. And I don't even know how many times a day I would have to say that. And it would get to the point where I would start to say it. My one time would be like, I know it's not my choice. It's your choice. Like, stop, mom. But it's I had to find something for me to take responsibility for myself. And that was radical responsibility. And in a long story short, ironically, me taking radical responsibility for myself was what I had to do to survive. It's what everyone had to do to survive. And that's how we create change.
0: Yeah. So you saw your sons start to step into that same level of ownership or was that a process
1: it was a process it was definitely a process that was not it was not automatic but what happened is as a parent i the more i practiced that the more i took responsibility for myself the stronger i started to feel the more grounded i started to feel the less reactive i was And then what happens is that I start to show up differently to my daily life. And when I show up differently, I react differently. And when I react differently, then the problem didn't always become as inflamed as what it was before. Do you know, it's as another, the same counselor was for me was, was very helpful, but she always said, you can either throw sand or gas on a fire and you get to choose every single time. And so, the more I started to take responsibility for myself and like build my self care up, like fill my cup as best as I could. And when things went wrong, which still happened every day, okay, every single day, I was getting to a more grounded place so that I could throw sand onto an argument as opposed to gas. Because when you're in those f- inflammatory moments, it was just gasp, spewing back and forth, like that's just what our life was like.
0: So, what what did this look like? You know, this radical responsibility, taking responsibility for yourself in this moment. Was this was this more than a dialogue? Were you were you suddenly exercising? Were you you know? Did you get your sleep back? You said you didn't sleep for three years, or was it just in those moment by moments? Because you're talking to an audience that all of this sounds great. It sounds ideal. It sounds like lip service, because when you're in the fire, you're getting burned. They're getting burned. We're burning each other. We're feeling burnt by the other. How do you do that in these moments? What's the key to that?
1: It's And, and I, I appreciate you saying that because I never want anyone to think that it was as simple as me taking care of myself and it got better because that's not the truth. That is not the truth. Me taking care of myself gave me a fighting chance. That's literally, it gave me a fighting chance. To be able to tackle one more day—that's literally, like, literally one more day—and so people would say to me, or family would say, "Do you want? Are you available for dinner on Sunday? Are you coming for Christmas? Are you coming?" Like it's Tuesday, I'm gonna deal with Tuesday. That I, I can't think past this. Like that's how micro in the moment I had to become. Is this is today, and what do I need today? And that might sound like the simplest question, but I really encourage your listeners to stop and think like, what do I need today? And that might mean like for me at the time, I had my phone on me at all time. We all know that I had my car keys on me at all time for safety. And I had my headphones in and I would listen to YouTube videos or podcasts on repeat because I did start to understand that when you change your state, you respond differently and so when i would feel myself getting into this angry state of i am so mad at my life right now that was the sign that i wasn't going to handle the next bomb very well and so in went the headphones and went like like what do i listen to how do i pick myself back up and it was just this yo-yo it was not a it was not even an incline that was smooth it was a yo-yo it was messy it also meant that there were times that I had to completely let go and say, I cannot, I cannot control this. This is not mine to control. I wore the serenity prayer on my wrist. I would say it like hundreds of times an hour and it would just get, how can I be so clear about what is mine to control? And that, that's how the beginning stages started was just about how can I survive one more day?
0: You know, for for listeners who don't know what the serenity prayer is, anyone who is gone through the recovery process gets to learn this. And I strongly suggest every parent listening look it up it's God get, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the, the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It becomes the 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 rote quote that you say over and over. Marsha, my question is, how do you give up the expectations for your son's to make different choices, again, and, and I and I only push on this because I have so many people reinforce the idea of when they choose it, that's when it becomes real. How do you stop placing your happiness on a child's behavior? How do you, you know, if if I, I and I truly believe this, if your happiness is predicated on your child's decision-making process, you're screwed. But then, how do? How do you get a parent to separate their happiness and their child's well-being?
1: It is practice. I remember having a moment thinking, you know, when our kids are young and they're in the grocery store throwing their fit because they can't get the chocolate bar, what's the first thing we do? We look at the parent, right? We look at a parent. And that's fine. They're young and and we all do things like that. But I logically got to a point and I had to apply some logic to a very illogical situation that we didn't share a brain. And my my job was to fight for their future self. That was my job. My job was to give their future self a chance. And I tried everything I could to control every choice that they made. God knows I tried everything I could and none of it worked the more I tried to control the choices, the worse it got. And so tying that expectation to what they chose to do with their life, none of what we were living through would have been my choice. None of it. Nobody would want to, No parent wants that. And so it became a logical moment that this is not my choice for you. And I, again, I use mantras. I use sayings all the time. I would say that you might not like where your life is today, but where you stand today is accumulation of all the choices that you've made to today. If you want a different outcome, it requires a different choice. It's just a different choice. And learning how to do that and not give them shame, because again, I'm not even going to pretend that I got that right because I didn't. I did the named calling. I did all of the things wrong because I was trying to do my best. But learning to say less, learning to not react and lose my crap nonstop. When I was in a space of saying, you are today where you are because of the choices that you made. You want a different option? Choose a different choice. You can do that. You can do it anytime you want. And I would say things like this because it's like, and you can, and I believe in you and I love you, but I can't, I can't do this for you. I've tried. I've tried. And I know I can't. I'll walk beside you. This is the other phrase that I've used. I've actually used this since my kids were little. I think I've been prepping for this for my whole life is that I will, I will walk beside you. I will cheer you on, but I am not here to push and pull you through life. I cannot push and pull you through life. And I said that when they were little. So it it's this piece that even as they're adults now, it's like, I am here to support you and I do believe in you, but I can't drag you through life. And so your life is going to be whatever you decide. When you decide that you are worthy enough in order to do that work, I'm still here cheering you on
0: you had said something earlier about this you know not choosing the life that you have like who in their right mind would choose that as a parent that there's no way you would choose this experience for your kid and i and i see that being true for the kid as well it's like what what child and their right mind would be like, oh, this is the way, you know, I, I was, no, I, as a little kid, I was like, I can't wait till I'm, you know, 14 and and in a, in an acute unit after a suicide attempt, that'll be great. Nobody planned this. This was, n- this is a result of a set of actions and feelings and thoughts rooted in some deeper experiences of prime influence, which may be environment or may be neurological factors. Um but nobody, nobody plans on this, and that's why there's no handbook for it. Nobody, everybody ends up here, in some form or another, going, "Wait, what? <laughs> How did this happen?"
1: It's a hundred percent right, and I know even in there were so many times, and maybe this will support listeners as well, is that when you're replaying all of the scenarios and going, "What if we would have done it this way? What if we would have done it this way?" Oh. And, you know, my husband, and we went through this and I said to him, I said, do you know something? We could go back and do every single thing differently. We could literally, if, if we could go back and do every single thing differently, you have to know there's still a very good chance we could be exactly where we are today because we are where we are today because there were choices outside of our control. So I think that's the other way of understanding the difference in expectations is, is that you can do everything differently. You still might be standing in the exact same spot. Sadly. And so that requires like letting go of that hold. You know, a lot of parents, and I've seen this with other parents, a lot of parents will be in a space that, you know, again, their kids wins are their identity. You know, my kid went to university, they've got the job, they've done this, they've done that. And there was a point when my um, one son went back to school and, you know, very both very smart in their own ways. but my one son went back to school and he graduated, and I was so proud. Like I was so proud, and I had somebody stop me and say, "It's just high school. What is he possibly going to do with that?" And I remember saying, "You know what? He's alive, and he's happy, and he's doing things because he wants to. And I'm I'm I, that's I'm, that's enough for me today." That's enough for me. I didn't think I was going to get to here. And so that's that piece of recognizing it. And, you know, we've had conversations and he said, you know, you did help a lot. And I'm like, I did as a support, but I need you to know you created this. Like we can't, we can't as parents, I say this with love, we cannot grab onto their wins as our identity and then shoo them away when they lose as, as like, that's not me. We have to let them win and lose and make those, have those moments on their own so that they can make different choices. So much
0: of this identity concept that you're talking about comes from the idea that there are parents out there doing things different and therefore better, and that's why their children are succeeding where ours are struggling. So how do we cut out that comparison shopping? Because one of the things that I see that you have done so well is that there's a vulnerability, there's a transparency, and there's a courage and there's a responsibility, all intertwined in what you're saying, where you know, people who say I can't tell other people this because if they knew the struggle, then I would be deemed, a bad mom. But that's the identity piece again. If they're doing bad, I'm a bad mom. If they're doing good, I'm a good mom. W- or dad. What if you're just doing your best and so are they and this is what y'all have to work with? So how let's first part of this question is what do you do with this criticism? How how when you either feel it or actually receive it? How do you deal with the criticism?
1: I love that you asked this question because, um, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. I often say, you know, some, so many people now might be afraid to show up authentically because they're like, I don't know what people are going to think or say about me. We didn't have to wonder. We didn't have to, we didn't have to, we weren't (laughs) curious. We had no, everybody was saying, they had no problem stopping us at the grocery store, yelling at us in parking lots. Um, at the time, I didn't know where to go. And I, I was very it was it was crushing. It was soul crushing because I couldn't imagine treating someone this poorly and what we were receiving. It was messy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, it was very messy, it was very isolating. And I think that's another thing that people don't talk about is that it's not just the kids' life that are affected, the parents. Like we we had long lifetime friends that just walked, just walked. And I was angry for a long time. And then I had to finally come to a space. There was one person who came, and I've, I've referenced her. I will not say her name, but I've referenced her many times because she was probably a turning point for me. She came to my door and proceeded to, very good friend of mine, proceeded to yell at me for how poorly I was doing as a parent. And I just looked, and I was like, you know what? When I heard the words that she was saying, what I recognize is those were the criticism words I said to myself. I've said all those things. And so when I heard her being so critical of me, I sat and went, you know what? I've already said all those things to myself. Like I'm my biggest critic. I don't care who you are. I've already said it all to myself. And I just looked at her and I went, you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. And I think we're just going to cut ties right now because I don't have the bandwidth for this. And she was crying at the door and I remember looking going like why are you crying and she said you don't know how hard it is to be your friend right now and I said then I'm gonna do you a favor and we're gonna we're gonna part ways today haven't spoken to her since then and I actually don't hold a lot of I don't hold hardly any resentment at all because at that time I was living in it and I didn't have a clue what to do. So why would Susie up the street have an idea of what I should do? Like, I didn't know what to do. And so I just started to let go of that. And because I know I've said worse to myself, that also meant, again, I had little criteria when I think of my little sayings and things that I would say, my serenity prayer, own my choices, radical responsibility. And I called my my inner circle, right? We all have an inner circle. It was an invite only space. You could have like given birth to me. You did not get in. It was an invite only space. And if that (laughs) meant, if that meant that I didn't speak to family for months at end, I didn't because I was trying to figure out how to survive. And I had criteria when it came to it. So I referenced Brene Brown a lot, but I think this is really important is find your criteria for what's important to you because the people who were in my life then, hardly any of them are here now and that's okay. It's okay. But I started to get into Facebook groups. I started to get into groups and connect with people who were walking a similar path and they knew what I was experiencing. But my criteria was, is that, you know, if you're not in the, not just in the arena with me, if you're in the 500 seats and you're spitting down your advice at me, but you're not walking in my path with me, not interested. And I didn't react again, right? Throwing sand. It's like, wait, are you offering? I even said to someone once, are you offering to live in my house so I can maybe go somewhere and sleep for a week? Because that would be amazing. Oh, you're not. Then I'm not interested. And it would just be like not interested. And it's it, was a, it wasn't an old version of me would have been like trying to prove a point and be angry. This was self-preservation. It was self-preservation. That's all I was trying to do. I had to survive one more day, right? That was my goal, one more day. What do I need to do to make it one more day? So that's how I started to work through the criticism. You can't avoid it. And I actually believe that criticism is there, to be completely honest, is because our stories scare the crap out of other people. It's fear-based and it's fear-based. It doesn't, it's not personal. If it could happen to me, it could happen to anyone. And that scared everyone.
0: As a mom who has dealt with, you know, uh, depression in your children and suicidality in your children, now that the concept of assisted suicide is coming to the forefront, what does that do to you? Like, like, is this something that you understand, but don't agree with? Is this something that you're behind? Is this something that you horrifies you? Like, like this is a, this is a personal thing.
1: Mm -hmm. for you
0: not just something on the news
1: no no this is a personal thing and when it first started to come up in and there's a reason i knew it was coming up because i did hear it and i started to look into it i thought there's no way they're doing this for mental health there's no way and as i started to look into it more and more and started to do my research i started to connect with some nurses and doctors to understand what was happening and I have um, a child who has struggled with mental health for most of his life. When I started to look at it, if you're asking me if I think assisted suicide for a person who is end-stage cancer and is bedridden is the same as an 18-year-old who is having a mental health episode, I do not feel it's the same. And I think that our our government putting an umbrella and saying it's all the same is horrific, to be completely honest. So I decided about a month and a half ago that I was going to start speaking openly about it. And even to the point where, you know, my husband said to me, you know, you're building a business online. Are you like, are you okay with doing this? And I'm like, you know what? I think it's kind of expected that I'm going to be the one that's going to talk about it. Like it's, it's, it's expected. And so I have, and I've had journalists reach out. I've had people reach out and talk about it. Because I think that what they're doing and how they're doing it, most people don't even have a clue that it's coming, like it's actually here, but that as of you know, March 17th, the waiting period's gone. And an 18-year-old could go to a doctor, and they don't have to notify parents. They don't have to notify parents. So an 18-year-old can't go to the liquor store, but they could go and apply for assisted suicide. So I have a real problem with the legality and the way it's done. The other, and I don't know the answer on this, and I'm certainly not saying that it that I know or that this is right or wrong. But me personally, if I look at it and say, you know, you should have to have gone through some steps before that's your option. Have you gotten help? Have you gone to different programs? Have you tried different things? Have you tried any kind of recovery programs? Like, how can that be the first option? And the other piece of it that has blown me away is I've had many people reach out to me and say, if that was available when I was 18, I probably wouldn't be here now because at 18, I didn't have the capacity to understand certain things and to work through it. Plus our vision is different and I'm not minimizing, but our vision of, of the world is different at 18 than it is now. And so I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of problems with it. And it's been, um, uh, KMH has been, really fighting the government on it in saying that this can this cannot be our only option of what we're doing. Now to piggyback that on top of the pandemic, two and a half years in Canada with lit, we didn't have the best resources before. Now you can't get them. Like how is this the, the the best option that we've come up with? So yes, those are my thoughts on it, but and I realize not everybody's going to agree with me. But it, And eight I've had parents message me saying, This is this no way this is real. I'm like, oh, it's real and it's already done. And so if you don't like it, I think that it's time to start speaking up on these things.
0: When did you make this transition from, you know, mom going through it to mom going through it and helping others go through it?
1: Who I am today, it's taken me a decade to get here. So I don't want, and again, I don't want anyone to think I read a few books and did some things and it was, here I am. That's not (laughs) it at all. Please don't even, because the last thing I want is anyone to ever compare themselves to anyone else, because like, that's a deep, dark rabbit hole that's not going to serve anyone. Let it be a sign of what's possible when you continue to do the work every single day. So for me, I really started to dive into my own self-care my own therapy, my own, you know, really radical responsibility, taking care of my health, taking my life back again. And I hit a point where, you know, the school had asked us to come and speak to another parents. And again, I didn't, I didn't hide it. I I was very open in the school and they appreciated that. And they asked us to come in to speak to parents. And we did that a couple of times because they said, we don't know what to tell them. Like, I don't know what you know what this life is like. And so we did. And then I got asked to speak in a small group, and another small group. And I think I did maybe two or three small groups and I still was hiding it externally, right? We think we're hiding. We think no one knows. Everybody knows it's, but that's what you feel like is like, I'm just going to keep myself safe here. Right. And be really mindful. We carry that armor. We keep ourselves safe, but then we isolate ourselves. And that's not, that was a moment of like, wait, I still have all the problems and I'm isolated and so i slowly got into this space of speaking to a small few small groups and cbc radio reached out and asked if they could do an interview so we did an interview over the phone and we got about two or three minutes into it and they probably just wanted to see if i was an angry mom who was going to lose it on the news or was i you know who was i going to be and so we finished and they said you know what never mind could you come into the studio tomorrow morning and we'll do it live And I'm thinking, that's okay. Nobody listens to CBC radio. Um, (laughs) I did the interview and I got out and my phone immediately blew up. And I was like, oh, oh, well, the world knows now. Like it was literally this, it was this moment of like (laughs) the world knows now. And all of a sudden I hit this, this, I want to say, I don't want to say momentum, but I hit this moment of feeling like I could do something with this. I could actually take the worst experience of my life and do something with it. And that felt hopeful. And I felt like if I had figured out a way to navigate my way through, I was still in it. Like, listen, you don't have to be, I was just really a couple steps ahead of where some parents were. I wasn't like, certainly by the end of the, like, oh, my life is perfect. Not even close. And as I did that, I really got into a space of finding my voice. And then I would speak in small groups and I would have, you know, multiple parents reach me, chase me into the washroom, moms would. And, and all of a sudden, it would. my husband would be like, okay, are you okay in there? And I'm like, "I, we have to put a plan together for after these talks are done because I was just getting bombarded. But it was hearing people saying, I've held on to that story for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I've never told a soul. And the level of shame that I was hearing people like sit with and live with was awful. And it started to help me go, maybe you're meant to do something with this. And it's not okay that people are holding on to this much shame. Because listen, we all have shame stories. I don't care who you are. We all have them. You want to change a shame story? Add a voice to it if you had a voice to it. And so I started to slowly speak and share and and it grew into collaborative books then eventually my own book, etc., and it just kept growing in a space of, you know, I could do something with this story. And I'm so glad like it organically grew into what I'm doing today because I believe I really fully believe that if the universe could have shown me a vision, like before of years ago, could have shown me where I am now, it would have scared the crap out of me. I would have self-sabotaged it and I would have ruined it because I did not feel confident enough to do what I do now. So you don't have to have the whole thing figured out. Again, I was just literally trying to survive one day.
0: Where do you want people to go? Where do you want my audience to go to follow up with you, find your stuff, buy your books, listen to your shows? Where, where can we send people?
1: I've made it very easy, in that everything social media wise is Marsha Van W because it's a very long last name, and I just put <laughs> everything my website. Um, if you start typing my Marsha Van W in Google, you'll it'll all come up. My book is called um, "When She Stopped Asking Why," and it is really it is. I really shared my journey as a parent and what I ha- what I went through, and I really if I can share it with people today why did I pick that name? Because when I stopped asking why was when my life changed. The why was absolutely killing me. It was killing me. It was like I, every time I asked why, I felt like I must have deserved this. And this was my fault. And it kept me stuck as a victim. And so for me, I don't think I even realized until this episode, how much I would use words to shift things. And every time I would ask myself why, it'd be like, no, what Marsha? what, what can you do next? Because what is an action word? Why is a victim word? And it'd be like, what could I do today? What can I do now? And that was the turning point. So the book is really, is really helpful for parents who are walking through this journey. And it's also helpful for people who are trying to find their way after their life plan blows up, which is always. And so that's the book. The podcast is called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And I started that in 2017, back when so many people thought it would be crazy. What do I know about a podcast? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And because, again, nobody was talking about the difficult stories in life. And I'm like, maybe that's because I was supposed to. And so that's where the journey has gone to is, you know, speaking and sharing about the things that people don't always want to talk about
0: i want to make sure that everybody gets the website the the podcast the podcast is own your choices or own your life uh, boy you've got 513 episodes you've been around for a few minutes unless you're doing them every day and releasing them every no, day i don't I've know been about you but i'm a once a week at best yeah uh, <laughs> and then marshavanw.com is your website
1: I have lots of free content on my podcast, like lots. I have, and that's where I've had people message me and say, you know, I would love to do coaching. I would love to do something else. I can't, I can't swing it. I'm barely surviving. And I'm like, look, I get it. I get it. I was there. That's why I'll always have the podcast because the podcast and YouTube saved my life in the beginning and it's free content. So when this one mom said, where do I start? I'm like, I got 500 episodes. Just start picking, just start picking and listening. It's there to, it's there to support you in a lot of different ways, especially when it comes to thoughts and beliefs and mindset and just action, action. What do you do?
0: What is, this is the last question. What is the biggest thing that has kept you going no matter what's going on? What's been your big, at least I've got this?
1: Belief in, faith and belief in myself that I I spiritually, this is a great question, but I found myself at times saying, you're here because you know what to do. You might not like what you have to do, but you're here because you know what to do. And so even when we've had our moments of crisis and we have had, we even, we still walk through many challenges, personally, health, family, I just, you're here because you know what to do and, you know, get quiet, listen and trust, like just trust. And when I sit in doubt, I stop and I think, okay, when was a time when you did figure it out, you did know what to do and you didn't think you did. And there's always proof. We always have proof. We have survived some of our worst days. We have literally survived some of our worst days. So we actually do have more proof that we are capable of more than we know. And when I shifted from feeling like I must be punished, this is why I have this life, I must have done something wrong, to being in a space of knowing that I'm here because I do know what to do and because I trust myself and however that unfolds, that has given me some inner strength to keep going.
0: Parents, I think one of the most important things that Marsha brought to your work today on this episode was this understanding and she was so clear about it. She was so crystal clear about you cannot make your kids choices for them. They know your value system. They grew up with it. They, they they have it memorized. They've been studying it for 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years. You do not have to reiterate what this family believes in and what you think is right and wrong. They know it. They are on a different than you and it's terrifying. I, I know. The concept of owning your choices to own your life. the day I got sober, I created a daytimer. I've used every daytimer the Franklin Covey system, the daytimer brand and I have made my own to-do list and checklist the day timer that I use to this day that is published and available to people in business to track every single thing, says on the front of it, create your life or your life creates you. That's my big takeaway from Marsha today. So make sure you go to her podcast, own your choices, own your life, and to her website, MarshaVanW.com want to thank Deepin Productions for their amazing work time and time again on this show and the, the music that I love so much. And parents, thank you for listening, liking, subscribing, sharing, telling a friend, leaving a review, helping other parents find this show by clicking that golden subscribe button. Remember, parents, take care of yourselves first, adult relationship second and your children third because in that way we will do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.